0: Welcome to the Heart of the Matter, an Our Place podcast, where we look at the issues surrounding homelessness, addiction, and mental health on the streets of Greater Victoria. So welcome to the Our Place podcast, Heart of the Matter. Today, my guest is Dave Thompson, a city councillor with the city of Victoria. Welcome, Dave.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So I found it kind of interesting just before our chat here began that um, just yesterday, I guess, the um, the latest homelessness count came out, um, mm-hmm. which there was no real big surprises in there that I saw. It looked very similar to the past years. Did, was there anything that surprised you about it?
1: Probably not a surprise, but a bit of a disappointment was that the numbers haven't gone down. They're, they're roughly stable, depending on some different ways that it got counted in different years because of the pandemic, but the numbers are stable, but we know that, uh, that some people from the street have gone into housing. And so that tells me that, that, that pathway into homelessness is still happening. So, you know, we've got a rock bottom vacancy rate. I hear stories about people who are, you know, who have lost their jobs and are heading into homelessness or who, um, had been in a in a rental place for a long time and the landlord said i need that place now and they're out and they can't afford market rent and so they're heading into homelessness i hear about kids going to school and sleeping in their cars and they're not even counted in the point in time homelessness count a lot of them Uh, and and couch surfers so despite the efforts it isn't going away and we need to ramp up the efforts do you think
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, the one thing I saw, there was, because um, the, in the count, it, it's a little bit odd, but in the count, the count people who are like in the hotels, like what our place is running, you know, mm-hmm. so even though we house 500 people, they're still, that's still considered temporary because mm-hmm. those house, those hotels will be torn down at some point, or leases will expire, those kinds of things. So those 500 people are housed, but they're precariously housed. Now, all of them are on a path towards permanent housing, um, and there's just not enough permanent housing on there. I mean, our place just opened its very first permanent housing site in Saanich, on Albina Street. That's 52 people, you know, but we house, like, over 500, so 10% have moved into permanent housing. That leaves 90% who aren't. And then the other thing I thought I saw, um, there's 242 people unsheltered. Which
1: mm-hmm.
0: makes sense, but it's an awfully large number, isn't it, you know, for people that don't seem to have any access to shelters or housing.
1: It is. It's, um, and and uh, I know that the province is building affordable housing and it's building supportive housing and it's hiring the supports. But I, I'm thinking that that effort is going to have to be ramped up another order of magnitude. Like we're going to need ten times as much as we've been providing for the last few years. And we're frankly, we're going to need some designated spaces for people to shelter in the meantime. Uh, you know, I I go down Pandora every day, and I'm. Fearful for somebody stepping out from behind a tent and and uh, or or even tripping onto the road, uh, the cars and trucks are whizzing by about twelve inches away from people's tents. Um, you know we've got to give people a safer place to be, and and as for parks, we've we've got to give people uh, a safe place to be. We've got you know I. It's a beautiful summer day right now, but winters and cold weather is going to be here before we're ready for it. Um, uh, we're going to have to find the places around the city where we say, it's okay for you to set up your tent here until we have proper housing for you. Um, and we're not going to require that it be torn down uh, every day. We're going to let you stay here. We've done this before. We did this with uh, 940 Caledonia after um people were camping in central park and we had that big rainfall and people got flooded out and kind of got mudded out and there were rats and everything um we set up i, I wasn't involved in it but uh um i think our place was and the city was uh set up uh, on a parking lot a bunch of pallets and uh people could put their tents up on the pallets They didn't have to take them down every day. It was managed like a lot of the community members themselves were involved in managing it. Uh, And it was a big success. And, um, you know, there were supports involved and security, and the site was contained. And I think we're going to need to reproduce that kind of solution region-wide in a whole bunch of places. But I really do hope that the, the provincial housing, supportive and affordable housing, ramps up quickly.
0: Yeah. I mean, we have certainly seen, you know, with the people that we got into housing, you know, um, mm-hmm. as we got them stabilized, as we were able to get them so they were getting physical care, mental care, getting their meds monitored, and just giving them that sense of security that my estimate is about 80% of the people that we housed are doing fantastic and are mm. definitely on the road to permanent housing. Um, there's the other sort of 15 to 20% of people who weren't ready for the rules that it requires to live in a community, you know, or their addiction was such that it was in control, right? And and mm-hmm. I think that's the big thing that we're seeing on the street. I noticed in the point in time, care, you know, the biggest reason that people said they were on the street was, well, the three biggest reasons was one was substance abuse. On those mental health issues which often mm-hmm. often you're linked but not not always and then mm-hmm. also of course po- poverty just as you were talking about mm-hmm. people rents are going up people lose their jobs it doesn't take much to fall between the cracks we saw a lot with seniors you know in this last uh, couple mm-hmm. of years yeah. coming in yeah. people who'd never been homeless before coming in to access meals at our place and stuff like that and and so it's and it's i think that's the big thing is we need those different platforms of housing like you were saying with the tents you kind of need that low barrier shelter to start the process but you want to Mm -hmm. see construction on all levels so that you can climb up that ladder you get to a point where you might be in support of housing and things have gone a bit sideways and maybe you have to go back down a step to shelter and readjust and then go back to climb up your ladder. So we need all those levels, I think.
1: Yeah, that, that fits well with what I what I've been told um, by people who are working in, in different um, affordable and supportive housing uh, systems. So what I've been told is basically every person is unique and they all have a different pathway out of this. And so you kind of need to meet them where they are. So some people are going to need um, Uh, supportive housing with, with mental health care supports. Some are going to need a pathway out of substance use. So they'll need the detox treatment and rehabilitation. And that has to be open right away. It it can't be something that people are waiting two months for, or even two days for it. Like, you know, if if somebody says at at uh, 3.14 PM uh, on a Friday, I I'm ready. I need to make this move. It's got to happen on Friday afternoon. Uh, And then there's some people who just need housing. Like, I think I think that the numbers for for the point in time count were something like in this between 60 and 70 percent have either a mental illness or um, a substance use disorder. And uh, which means that there's hundreds of people who don't and all they need is the housing. Uh, and so for them, housing first is the, is the yeah. best approach and we don't need to worry too much about the supports. Even for people who do need supports, uh, my understanding from the experts is that um, once they get into a stable uh, housing arrangement where they've got a place to sleep and they can get a few nights of good sleep and some good nutrition, um, some of those other needs are, are met and, and fall away or, or at least... Uh, are reduced in in uh, in terms of their uh, seriousness. So, I agree. I think there's there's going to be a need for a lot of places to meet people on their pathways out, and uh, a lot of a lot of compassion and support needed. And that's going to cost us some money. Frankly, governments are going to have to be prepared to tell taxpayers we have to pay for this uh, because we're already paying for it. Uh, we're paying for it in a really bad way uh, when you see the impacts of, of homelessness and street disorder. Um, and, and the evidence that's out there uh, internationally is that it's cheaper to actually house people and provide the supports than Absolutely. it is to have them on the street. Yeah, we, we so. find that a lot at
0: our, you know, our new Roads Therapy Recovery community in View Royal, which costs mm-hmm. approximately you know, $75,000 a year to, to have someone in treatment but a lot of those guys were being, um, were in jail, and the jail was costing $150,000 mm-hmm. a year. Mm-hmm. So it's cheaper to treat someone and get them better and get them back into the community, and get them back in touch with their family than it is to just put them in jail, you know? And I think that from an economical point of view, it just makes more mm-hmm. sense to really focus on treatment and really focus on getting people healthy.
1: Yeah, and I went out to that, I did a site visit to that, um, that place, met the guys, super nice guys out there uh, it's a community of support and they're learning life skills too like they're learning what? skills that are going to help them get jobs uh when they graduate out of there and uh it's really well organized well-run place um and they have they have a nice success rate they're, they're yeah. they are graduating people back into come you know jobs having their own apartment independent living. Uh, it's fabulous to see it is yeah yeah we need more of those
0: we sure do i mean that's definitely the whole end of the spectrum and we're we're fighting hard right now to get one for women um so we're pulling a lot of pulleys behind the scenes trying to get trying to get one for women up and going so it is but it almost feels like you know like you know obviously i focus you know right on people who are kind of at the lowest of their low on the street really struggling but at the bigger picture almost feels like as a country we've kind of failed on multiple fronts like it seems mm-hmm. like our education system is, is 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 sort of big cracks in it our health system is for everybody, it doesn't matter what your income is, the health system is crazy to try and access a doctor or a psychiatrist or whatever. And then mm-hmm. I think when it comes to housing, mm-hmm. that we've completely failed. It's like we didn't, even though we've known for the last however many decades that there's going to be this huge bubble of baby boomers retiring, it's like as a country, we didn't put anything in place. We didn't build yeah. extra nice comfortable seniors homes. We didn't build affordable homes for their kids. We didn't think about, oh, you know, if a home's a million dollars, their kids can't afford to get a million dollar home. Like we didn't even look at the alternatives. We just kind of, you know, crossed our fingers and hoped for the best. And that's not working out very well.
1: Grant, I, I agree with you completely. And I would take it even another step further and say, not only did we not plan for the future, but we actually undid some of the good things that we used to have. Like we used to have a, a regular provincial and federal investment in in uh, what was called then social housing or, or affordable housing, uh, sometimes with supports. We we had major cuts to uh, the healthcare system, to uh, social services, to mental health care supports. We didn't anticipate that that wave of um, that demographic wave of, of people getting older, and, and as you mentioned earlier, uh, finding more and more people in, uh, in homelessness that are seniors. Um, we didn't anticipate the evolution of the of the drug the illicit drug market, um, and now we're kind of playing catch up on drug policy. But but uh, still, there's a lot of people suffering. And, and I think you can trace a lot of this stuff to this period in the 1980s and 90s when we had uh, really ideological, politically driven cuts uh, to social services, housing, uh, mental health care services uh, in order to be able to say to the public, look, we've cut costs, we're going to cut taxes. And you know, at the time, Um, I recall I was in school um, and uh, getting out one day and going home and seeing a guy uh, standing on the corner that I'd never seen before. And I, you know, I knew my neighborhood Um, and he had a suit on and a briefcase and he was obviously in a lot of trouble. Uh, And then I've heard lots of stories like that from other people. So we knew and, and politicians knew at the time. Uh, that there would be consequences, and and when I go down Pandora or when I go by Staticona Park or Topaz, um, like I I just think these are the consequences of those decisions. We're living in an era of consequences for those bad decisions that were made, those cuts, um, yeah. and so we really need to reverse those. So hopefully. Hopefully, we'll be doing that. Um, wh- I just want to tell you about one little thing that, uh, that we're doing at City Council. Um, so, uh, councillors uh, Lauten and Kim and I uh, created a, uh, a resolution uh, that we're going to be uh, bringing forward at the UBCM conference, uh, calling on the province to rapidly increase the rental housing stock Um, especially for households in core, uh, housing need, um, to mitigate the number of no-fault evictions in BC, because a lot of people are being evicted straight into homelessness. Um, and to close the gap between households in core housing need and, and rental rental housing costs. So basically I'm hoping that we can get into the homelessness prevention business a little more strongly, you know, um, there's there's this there's a few pathways into homelessness Uh, one of them is being uh, released from correctional facilities into the street and and I don't know how anybody thinks that that's going to end well um, when somebody's been out of circulation they don't have a a resume to apply for jobs they don't have a network of people who can provide um, references when they're looking for apartments Another way uh, is out of the healthcare system. So a lot of people are, are um, pushed out of the healthcare system, out of um, emergency wards, or out of mental healthcare, straight into homelessness. Maybe don't have the coping skills uh, to get an apartment or um, or to get a job, and so they're they're homeless. And another way is. Through our ridiculously low vacancy rate in BC, um, and in Victoria in particular, at 1%, um, even people with good jobs are having a tough time finding accommodation. Absolutely. And some of them are being forced out of town and now having to commute in over the Malahat from Duncan. And a lot of them are couch surfing and looking for places. Uh, my own niece ended up leaving town because and she had a really sweet government job with a big, big salary. Um, she had to leave. So uh, we see uh, homelessness happening uh, because of rents and vacancy rates. And I mean, there are programs that, that try to help. There's a couple of organizations in town that run rent banks, uh, and they they try to intervene and help out when somebody's Um, about to lose their housing because maybe they missed a paycheck or something like that or some big expense came up and they're not going to be able to pay this month's rent. Um, But people need to have more alternatives on on where they can live. So um, that's one of the things that we're trying to do at the city. I mean, we're also now starting to talk much more openly and much more forcefully about those interim sheltering spaces that that uh, we were talking about earlier um, yeah. those are going to need to happen we're gonna need to find those uh, not just not just on Pandora Street but uh, all around the region and uh, maybe make it visible more visible to the provincial government frankly um, uh, they need to see it every day uh, the way that people who go down to City hall see it every day
0: yeah it's very true and I think you know, it's almost like when we had the the big government response um, just as COVID was hitting and they leased those hotels and stuff like that, a big part of that was because of visibility. Mm-hmm. You know, there was so many people at Rock Bay in front of our place in the parks, and it was just the public was just very upset because of what they were seeing every single day. Their voices were heard at the provincial level, and finally somebody stood up and said, okay, we'll do something. And they did. That was fantastic. But I also think it's like, we, we always stop too soon. You know, like mm-hmm. even when we look at, uh, you know, Portugal's model of harm reduction and and treatment, which was lauded for a while, but even they now slipping backwards because they stopped funding it. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, you thought they had it solved and it's kind of like, well, no, this is kind of like it's an illness that you have to continually be on top of so it doesn't Mm -hmm. get on top of you. And we forget Mm -hmm. that, that it's like, and housing is so much that way. It's like we, we, yes, we've got, we've got some permanent housing in the pipeline, but there should be new ones. There hasn't been anything new announced in about three years. So it's taken that long. There should have been new ones announced every year so that there's Mm -hmm. new ones coming online. You know, it's like, this isn't a, a quick fix. This is a long fix.
1: Yeah, you're right. And, and that, uh, you know, the fact that we haven't got any affordable housing now is, is a result of that, that uh, sort of decline that we had starting in the 80s and 90s where, where the investment just wasn't there. So it's ramping up now. But, um, you know, it's I hate to say it's almost too late because we, we have to keep going. But uh, it really is making it a lot harder. The fact that we didn't invest for that long and and you're quite right about that portugal model and it's it's very unfortunate that um the way that some people are communicating about that now is is, it's as if that whole model can't work uh when the reality is as you pointed out it was working uh until they started to cut the cut the spending on it and it's as you say it's it's a maintenance program it's not a it's not a one-time fix um so uh i think you know, lesson lesson learned from there is that you got to go into this with determination and know that it's a marathon and not a sprint, um, and that we've got to we've got to be consistent and uh, stay on top of it. Uh, and we already know the consequences of of disinvestment and where that takes us, which is where we are right now.
0: Absolutely, and I think that's one of the things, especially on the national level, is that when you get a government in place, a federal government in place that, that is going to invest in housing, in healthcare, it has to be made so that it can't be reversed but after the next election. It has to be kind of like, mm-hmm. no, this is something that's for the, forever or for at least the next hundred years or, you know, like it's, it seems like too much of our, too many of our decisions are based on four-year terms. And it's like, but nothing can be solved really in the, uh, in four years that we need this mm-hmm. continual investment regardless of who's in office, you know?
1: Yeah, you're right. And, and you, so you got to think, how can we stabilize that level of investment? And is it to, is it to do things like build cooperatives? Cause we used to build cooperative housing, governments yeah. used to fund it. And then you would take the cooperative housing and put it in, in the hands of the people who are living there uh, and running it so that, you know, later on governments can't come along and just cut it, right? It's actually owned yeah. by somebody. I mean, that's that's only one of the solutions and there are many, but, you know, creating land trusts and putting some property in the ownership of nonprofit mission-driven land trust organizations, um, uh, investing in nonprofits uh, that, are, that are providing social services uh creating endowments that sort of thing to to kind of lock in that funding um, is what i hope the provincial government is going to be heading towards and there should be some announcements this fall from the from the bc government Um, all all the sort of hubbub and rumors that i hear uh, is that we're going to have some legislation that's going to help us build more housing and then over the long term new housing becomes affordable housing uh, and then also, I think we're going to see some investment in the sort of neighborhood-wide and city-wide and region-wide responses to homelessness, uh, street disorder, uh, and all the problems that we're, we're seeing in the city right now. So I'm hopeful for that. Certainly, there is an election coming, and I can't imagine uh, any party wants to be seen as failing on this file. Like it is... Yeah. This is a potential election changer. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that the provincial government is paying attention.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you know, um, my boss, the CEO, when he wrote that op-ed last week, and mm-hmm. one of the things that he talked to me about, which I, I really liked, it was um, compassion, compassion-inspired action. And I feel like that's where everybody's on that same page, that we all want this action, and that there's not, really, there's not really opposing views in the sense. It's just that there's lots of different levels of gray. But I think the bottom line is we all want to do what's best for the community. And that inv- that's everybody, whether it's seniors, whether it's people who are struggling with homelessness, whether it's people struggling with addiction, and whether it's hardworking middle class, the whole community. And I think we all are pushing in the same direction. It's just sometimes the noise gets... Uh, mm-hmm between
1: us. It's true. Yeah. So I saw that op-ed, I loved it. Um, I know that, uh, Julian Daly has spoken out on this before. It was really nice to see, uh, Nathan med, um, yeah. uh, co-authoring that one, who is the head of the Victoria conservatory of music, because, um, uh, my, my kids used to go to the conservatory regularly. Uh, it's, it's very much changed the environment for there. So they're really feeling the impact of street disorder and of homelessness and related things. Uh, but there they are. Um, they're not saying we need a crackdown or anything like that. They're saying, here's, here's some thoughtful ways forward, uh, a four point plan for action. Yeah. Certainly. And, uh, I, uh, on city council I'm the downtown liaison, which means that I, uh, liaise with the downtown victoria business association the downtown Residents association the downtown service providers the pandora 900 block uh, agreement group uh, and lots of people and i you know i talk to a lot of downtown residents all the time i don't come across people who want you know to bust heads or have a crackdown or or anything like that and i Frankly, I talk to police officers frequently and bylaw officers, and they don't want that either. Everybody who's familiar with this actual issue about what's actually going on uh, is saying that we need a compassionate plan uh, that is going to help these people who need it uh, find their way into the next phase of their life, which has got to be better. It's got to have some housing. It's gonna, Some of them are going to need the supports. And... Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of goodwill uh, in Victoria um, and really we need to be focusing on the solutions. I know I know that there's a lot of sort of description of how horrible the situation is, and I fully agree with it. It's a it's a it's a humanitarian disaster across all the cities, major cities in North America and and beyond as well. Um, and we need to sort of ramp up that action with the idea that it is a humanitarian disaster. Like if we had this many people, if we had 1,600 people uh, affected by flights that were delayed at the airport for some reason, like if we had some some uh, horrible situation, we would we would house those people. We would house them right away. Um, You know, if if we had that many people affected by a flood that destroyed their homes or fire that destroyed their homes, we would house them right away. There wouldn't be any question about it. Um, And we need to make sure that we're not normalizing what's going on on the streets out there and just saying, oh, that's just how it is, um, because it doesn't have to be that way. And um, there are some really practical suggestions in that uh, op-ed And by the way, if anybody at all hasn't seen it yet, it was in the July 20th Times Colonist. I just pulled it up while we were talking and it's called the comment, a four point plan to ease the suffering on our streets. So definitely would encourage people to to read that over and and provide the support um, that that um, community organizations need and that governments, frankly, are going to need in order to, uh, politically make this happen.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, we're running out of time. So I just want to thank you for joining me today, Dave, and, um, have a great rest of your week.
1: Well, thanks very much, Grant, for having me. And thanks for the the thoughtful conversation. It's, it's really good to stay focused on this and, and keep it moving forward. And I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing. Thank you. Great. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the heart of the matter podcast. For more information about Our Place and the vital programs and services provided to the greater Victoria community, please go to www.ourplacesociety.com. Our Place is a registered BC charity. You can donate by visiting the website or by calling 250-940-5060. Help us to bring hope and belonging to those in need.